0: Well, good to see you all this morning. You glad you came? A couple of you are. That's good. The rest of you, maybe you'll be glad later. But uh, glad to have you. Yeah. All right. Well, welcome this morning. Welcome to those who are walking, on, or walking, watching. You may be walking and watching online. So whatever you're doing, we're glad you're here this morning. Uh, I heard a story this past week uh, that kind of tickled me. I, I, it was about this couple who had invited their pastor over for dinner And, um, after the dinner, the pastor left and the woman noticed that there was a spoon that was missing from his place setting. And so she looked all around and she told her husband, she couldn't find it. And she said, I think our pastor stole our spoon. (laughs) And he was like, come on, why would, why would, why would our pastor steal our spoon? But she was convinced that this had happened. She looked all over for a year. This bothered her. She couldn't find this spoon. And so, uh, they invited the pastor back over for dinner And when they sat down, she was just unable to resist. She said, Pastor, last year when you were here, a spoon came up missing, and I couldn't find it. Did you steal our spoon? And he looked at her, and he said, No, I didn't take it. I hid it in your Bible. He said, Since you haven't found it yet, we need to talk. So that would never happen to us, right? Because... uh, We're in the midst of our our community Bible reading experience and so we're reading uh, every day and uh, with the goal of being able to read through the entire New Testament in 10 weeks and uh, wherever you're at in that process, I just want to encourage you this morning, you know, whether you're on schedule, ahead of schedule, behind schedule, wherever you're at, just keep reading. Uh, I I believe that God is going to speak to some people. I believe he already has. I believe he wants to encourage some people. He wants to challenge some people. Uh, He wants to lead some people into some new truth. So my encouragement is just keep reading wherever you're at. And uh, I I mentioned this before, that the goal for this setting, our Sunday morning setting, as we go through this process of reading through the New Testament, is obviously we're reading uh, such large chunks of Scripture in a week that I can't preach on the whole thing. Um, And so my plan is just to pick a particular passage of Scripture and teach on that, which I've got to confess this morning has been more of a challenge than what I thought it would be. Uh, not not because there's a lack of anything to preach about, but it's like, where do you pick? There's so much good stuff, and what do you leave out? And uh, so this week, uh, I was I was drawn to Paul's closing words in the first uh, letter that he wrote to the church in Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians, and, and particularly towards the last portion of chapter 5. And Paul is talking in this particular passage of Scripture, a portion of Scripture at least, he's talking about... Uh, The atmosphere of a healthy community of believers and what that ought to look like. Did did you know that, that churches have their own atmosphere? They do. We have an atmosphere here. Every church has their own atmosphere, and the truth is that the atmosphere that surrounds a church is so important. In fact, one of my favorite songs that we sing, we sang it, I believe, last week, is that song, Holy Spirit, You Are Welcome Here. And one of the lines that I just love in that song is, it says, fill this place and change the what? Atmosphere. Yeah, I love that. Uh, We need a Holy Spirit-filled atmosphere. And so Paul is talking about the type of atmosphere that ought to exist among a body of believers. And in 2 Corinthians, which we'll read here in a few weeks, but in 2 Corinthians, Paul uses another metaphor for this. Instead of atmosphere, he uses the word aromas. He talks about aromas. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that we are to be the aroma of Christ, One translation says that we are to be like a a beautiful, life-giving perfume, a pleasing aroma, a beautiful aroma. And and the reality is that how a place smells is something that can set the atmosphere, right? I was thinking about this this past week, and I, I just, my mind couldn't help it. I went back to when I was a kid, and one of my favorite places to go was to my grandma's house. My grandparents, they lived uh, a number of places in their lifetime. When I was growing up, they were all over the country. My grandfather was a pastor, and they were in Colorado, and then Idaho, and Vermont, and Nebraska, and Tennessee, and so they were all over, but, the, but it didn't matter where they lived, wherever it was, whenever I went there, it just seemed like home. My, my grandma's house just seemed like home, and my, my grandparents, their home was such a welcoming place. And they're both with the Lord now, but one of the things that I still remember about going to grandma's is how her house smelled. Uh, Regardless of where grandma and grandpa lived, it always smelled the same. There was this pleasing aroma. either, Either from something she was baking, you know, I think I think I probably developed this unhealthy love of cinnamon rolls because of my grandma. But but whether it was something that she was baking or a candle she was burning or my my grandma was like the potpourri queen, you know? And so whether it was that, there was just something, uh, there was an aroma in my grandma's house that at least for me created a welcoming atmosphere. And and that's really what a a pleasing aroma does, doesn't it? It welcomes people. Just like an obnoxious aroma can repel people. I, I remember several years ago, our son Noah was just a young teenager, and we had taken a trip to Branson for vacation. And uh, we were in downtown Branson, and there was a magic store downtown. And I've, I've always loved my, my grandfather was a professional magician, and so he passed down his love of magic to my father, and then I guess I inherited it as well. And so whenever I find a magic store, I gotta go inside. And so I fa- we found this magic store, and we went in, and uh, like most magic stores, they had this prank section in the magic store. And so, you know, this is the place where you find things like um, the electric hand buzzers and the disappearing ink and uh, the, you know, the can of peanuts. And when you open it up, the snake jumps out, you know, all the things that young boys love and big boys too. And so uh, we, we went in and we, we found this magic store and Noah, he's over there. He's going through all this stuff and he's trying to decide what treasure he's going to buy so he can terrorize his friends when he gets home. And, and so um, what he lands on is... A bottle of fart spray <laughs> I probably should have included in this story that Laura didn't go in the store with us and so of course I let him buy the fart spray and and uh, I, I you know I mean in my mind what's the harm uh, another interesting detail that I probably should include in here is since the purchase of the fart spray neither Noah or I are allowed to purchase anything without Laura's permission <laughs> um, I, This stuff, i never smelled anything like it before. I'm telling you. We, We got in the van, and Noah was clearing the back of the van, and he just did a little spray. And like the rest of the trip, we had to drive with the windows down. This stuff was obnoxious, you know. And so we get home, and Noah decides to bring it to youth group one night. And uh, one of the girls in our youth group, she had driven her dad's truck, and so Noah and one of his buddies decided that it would be funny to take this fart spray and spray it in her dad's truck. And uh, why is it that bad ideas in youth group are always in the same sentence? I don't know why that is. But anyway, so after youth group, she goes to leave, we're all hanging out in the lobby of the church, and she's gone for like two minutes, and all of a sudden we see her coming up the sidewalk with this... um, I'll just call it an irritated look on her face, you know? And so she comes in the church, and the moment she walks in the church, just from the aroma that was on her clothes from being in the truck, the entire lobby of the church just fills with this obnoxious odor. I mean, this stuff was nasty. I think it's like illegal in 10 states or something like that. But anyway, needless to say, from this point on, there was a particular aroma that was associated with this truck. It, there was this atmosphere that was created that was less than welcoming. And, and from the outside, it still looked like a good truck, you know? I mean, the thing ran great. Uh, it, it, it looked nice. It was just whenever anybody got close to it, there was this aroma that made you want to keep your distance. Now, now here's what's interesting. Noah and I, we, what we ended up doing was we ended up actually... Pastor Brad's brother, Brandon, was living in our basement at the time. So we made him give her his car because he was a youth pastor and he should have had a control over these kids. <laughs> so she took his car home. Noah and I took uh, her truck and we tore that thing apart, man. I mean, we, we went, we, we tore out the seats, we shampooed the carpet, we aired it out. We used like six bottles of Febreze on it. We took, you know, that powder stuff that goes on the carpet that you vacuum up? We put that powder stuff on the carpet and on the seats and in the headliner. We, we put it everywhere. We even, we even got this machine that I, I can't remember. I think it's called an ion machine or something like that. But it's a machine that's supposed to neutralize the air. And they put it in houses that, where somebody has smoked to get the smoke smell out. And we locked it in that truck for like two days and ran this machine. And so finally, you know, I thought... I thought, finally, we had gotten rid of it after about a week. And I took the truck back, and they got in it, and they were like, man, we can't handle this. It is nasty. And and here's, here's what happened, is the reality is I never really got rid of the smell. I just got used to it. Just from being around it all the time, I just got used to it. And so here's the deal. The reason I tell you that is that as a church, whether we recognize it or not, there is a spiritual atmosphere. Obviously, we're not taking, talking about just physical odors here. Although I will tell you, there was a period of time, Laura probably remembers this, but we were in Kansas and we were looking for a church and we walked in this church and the place stunk so bad, it just impacted our impression of the church. And so that can be the case too, and we get used to those things, but we're talking about a spiritual aroma, a spiritual atmosphere that is created every time we gather together. And for most of us, this is not something that we are consciously aware of because it has become familiar to us. We get used to it after a while. But here's what I want us to understand this morning. For those of us that are regular attenders, that when people enter in for the first time, let me assure you, this is something that they are very aware of. And and while they may not put it into these words, the reality is whenever somebody comes in and it's their first time, one of the first things they're doing is they are smelling the air, trying to figure out, what is the atmosphere of this place? What is the aroma of this place? Is it one that's going to draw me in? Is it one that's going to welcome me in? Or is, the, you know, is, it, is it one that's going to push me away? Is it the aroma of, of warmth and acceptance and love? Or is there a hint of religious standoffishness? Is there a hint of hypocrisy in the air? Now, now I say all of that to say this. That as Paul is bringing this first letter to the Thessalonians to a close, what he does is, is he gives them a number of instructions that at first might seem unconnected, but the reality is they all have to do with this idea of atmosphere that should be created within every Christian community. And so beginning in verse 12, he begins to talk about things like loving respect for faithful leaders. Paul says... You ought to appreciate and respect those whom God has called and placed in charge of you in the Lord. In other words, don't undermine the leader's authority. Don't don't talk negatively about them. Instead, support them and encourage them and pray for them. He he, he talks about the importance of peace among the the members of the body. How it's important to, to live in unity and harmony with each other. And Paul, he's, he's echoing the words of Jesus in John chapter 13, when Jesus says that one of the distinguishing marks amongst believers is the, the way that they'll know us as followers of Jesus is how well we love each other. And that ought to be the aroma of this place. Whenever somebody walks into this place, they ought to just smell love. And then he talks about honest and grace-filled counsel that fits a situation wisely. He talks about some hard things. He talks about admonishing the one who is lazy. He, He talks about encouraging the one who's faint of heart, reaching out to strengthen the weak. He talks about patience for everybody. In other words, even admonishment to a lazy person, while it needs to be firm, it should never be impatient, but instead loving. I was thinking about this, and Laura and I, when we lived in Kansas, there was a period of time where we oversaw some house churches, and we attended this one particular house church, and there was a young guy that attended there. He was, I don't know, in his mid to late 20s, and he was married. He had two or three young kids, and the guy just refused to work. I mean, his his wife was working like a dog, and he said home and played video games all day long and I remember one night me and one of the other leaders we invited him out for coffee and we hijacked him man we 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 sat down with him and said David you got to get a job You're being lazy. you got to provide for your family. And we did it in a loving way, but we provided this admonishment. And Paul says, when you do that, and there's times that you have to do that, apparently this was an issue in this particular church. He says, even when you're doing that, do it with patience and do it with love. Paul talks about the importance and how this, this creates an aroma within the church. He talks about not having a spirit of retaliation. He says, don't live like, you know, you hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you. You got me, I'm going to get you one more. He says, no, instead, just make it a practice of doing good to one another, regardless of what somebody else does to you. He, He talks about the aroma of infectious joy. He says, just exude joy. Come on, joy is attractive, right? I mean, whenever you're around somebody that's full of joy, I mean, you're just drawn to those types of people. He says, just exude joy. He talks about the importance of constant prayer. He talks about openness to the move of the Spirit. He, he talks about, again, this is an atmosphere that's being created. He talks about embracing the prophetic words after testing them biblically. In other words, when somebody comes and the Lord's given them a message, given them some wisdom to pass along, he says embrace those after you've tested them biblically. And then, and then, and then mature discernment. He says, test everything, hold fast to what's good and avoid what is evil. All of these characteristics combine to create an atmosphere that is consistent with the aroma of Christ. It's something that, you know, when you experience it, when you breathe it in, you know you're in the presence of people who exude grace and love and the wisdom of God. There's just something welcoming and attractive about an atmosphere like that. That there, there, there's one particular fragrance that Paul mentions in verse 18 that I just want to give some special attention to for a few minutes that I believe is so important in creating a welcoming, Christ-reflecting atmosphere. Paul says this in verse 18. He says, give thanks in all circumstances for it is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I think sometimes we go through life wondering, what is God's will for my life? At the same time, missing what God has already said, this is my will for you. (laughs) This is God's will for you. This is the good news this morning. If you've ever wondered, what is God's will for my life? The good news is you don't have to wonder about this one because Paul makes it very plain. He says that God's will is for you to give thanks in all circumstances. Now, I don't want you to miss this. He doesn't say for all circumstances. Paul does not say give thanks for the cancer. No, he says, give thanks in spite of the cancer. Give thanks in the cancer. He he doesn't say, you know, give thanks for the divorce. He just says, give thanks in the midst of the divorce. He, He doesn't say, give thanks for the fact that your teenager's rebelling against you. He says, give thanks in the midst of whatever is taking place in your life. In other words, give thanks all the time in every situation. According to Paul, that's one of the marks of the followers of Christ is that we are a thankful people. Thankfulness always ought to be in the atmosphere. It ought to always surround us and be around us. Now, I want to pause here for just a moment in order to acknowledge something that that, that maybe y'all are aware of, maybe not. But this command is impossible for us to obey by ourselves. It's impossible for us to give thanks in the midst of every situation without what we talked about last week. We need the dunamis. We need the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. We can't give thanks in all things in our own power. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, apart from the grace of God, the aroma that comes from our hearts will always be the stench of unthankfulness without the grace of God. And the good news of the gospel is that when Jesus came, he didn't come just to spray some Febreze over the stench of our hearts. The reality is that through his death and resurrection, through the price that he paid upon the cross, what he came to do is to rip out the carpet, tear out the seats, and put an entirely new interior in us. He came to give us a new heart. He made us a new creation in Christ. And it's because of the Holy Pneuma, the Holy Spirit, he is able to put to death the sin of unthankfulness, and he's given us the power to grow in thankfulness to God, regardless of our situation. Listen, thankfulness in the community of believers glorifies God because it points upward to God and simply says, Regardless of what's happening out here, you are still good. Amen. Regardless of what I'm experiencing, you are still good. Now, now, what I want to do this morning is I want to just give you a couple of principles concerning thankfulness. And, and then, then we're going to be done, okay? The first principle when it comes to developing a pleasing aroma of thankfulness is this. When we talk about thankfulness, what we're actually talking about is simply Humbly acknowledging that I owe God everything. If you operate from the understanding that you owe God everything, you will be thankful in all things. This is what thankfulness does. It humbly acknowledges that we owe God everything. Listen, here's the truth, and we talk about this all the time. You didn't get where you are by yourself. Neither did I. And, and to think otherwise, at the very least, is misguided, but at the worst, it's narcissistic and arrogant to fail to acknowledge and thank the one to whom we owe everything. Paul says, what do you have that you have not received? The answer is nothing. God created us. He created everything good that we've ever known, including everything good that has ever happened in our lives. And and so Paul, he gives this instruction to the church in Rome. You'll be reading this next week, I believe, but he gives this frightening description of this coming judgment for those who have rejected God and suppressed the truth in their hearts. It's a description of all of mankind apart from the saving grace of God. And I want you to get this this morning. Paul assigns lack of thankfulness as a major contributor to their depraved state. He says this in Romans chapter one, he says, for the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. He goes on to say, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or what? Give thanks to him. But instead they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So so how were they futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts darkened? They failed to acknowledge that it was by God's hand that they had accomplished and received all that they had. And instead, they were foolish enough to think that they had gained it by their own hand. And, And Paul says that that is something that the wrath of God will be poured out against, unthankfulness. Again, this is a description of where we all were before we came to Christ, all of us, before we encountered Christ, we didn't honor God or give thanks to God. We pulled him from the story of our lives. And for most of us, the reason that we pulled him from the story of our lives was not because we didn't believe in him. The Bible tells us that every human being knows deep inside that there is a God. No, the sad reality is, is that we pulled him from the reality of our lives or the story of our lives simply because we didn't want him in the story. We wanted to be in charge. We wanted to call the shots. And so Paul says what we did was we suppressed the truth. We wanted to worship the creation instead of the creator. And mainly the creation we wanted to worship was me, ourselves, you, We wanted to worship ourselves. We wanted to be at the center of the universe, to live how we wanted to live, to do the things we wanted to do and ignore the things we wanted to ignore with no regard for what the Creator expected of us. The only thing standing in the way of all of that was God. And so by cutting out of the story, we're free to live self-worshiping lives. Which brings us to the very greatest thing that Christians have to give thanks for. The thing that we ought to be most thankful for is the fact that God actually entered into our godless story. Man, that's, that's, that's it. That's what we ought to give thanks for, that God entered into our godless story. As a man, he came. He died on the cross for our sins. And even though the core of all of our sins was we didn't want him. He came anyway, and he died anyway, and he loved us while we were still his enemies. He loved us while Scripture says we hated him. And so for the Christian, our hearts ought to be overflowing with thanksgiving. Uh, we, We of all people ought to understand how much he has done for us. We not only owe him our lives, we owe him our very eternal lives. We just sang this song about he's our living hope. We owe him our eternal lives. The second principle or concept in creating the aroma of thanksgiving that I just want to leave you with this morning is that thankfulness in all circumstances requires something from us, it requires a consistent listening to God's promises. This is why what we're doing right now is so important as we're reading through God's word, we're discovering his promises for us. So a consistent listening to God's promises and looking for God's goodness towards our lives. So we're listening, first of all, what are the things that God says? What's his heart for me? What is it that his word says about me? What are the promises that he's given to me? What is it when I read through scripture all of a sudden it's like this line just jumps out of the pages at me and it hits me in the situation I'm at. I'm listening for that. Then I'm watching in my life. Instead of looking for all the bad things that are going to happen, I'm looking for what are the ways that God is actually at work in my life. Listening and watching. In other words, if you really want to fulfill God's will for your life, which Paul says is give thanks in all circumstances, then in order to do that, you have to be consistently listening for God's promises, looking for God's goodness. I heard a story about this guy who, he was afraid that his wife was going deaf. And so one day, he decided to test and see you know, if her hearing really had failed as bad as he thought it had. And so she was in this room, and her back was to him, and so he kind of snuck up behind her, and he says, he just whispers a little bit, he goes, honey, can you hear me? Nothing. And so he crept a little closer and says, honey, can you hear me? Still nothing. And so he gets a little closer, again, a little louder. Honey, can you hear me? Still nothing. Finally, a fourth time, he's right behind her now, and he says, honey, can you hear me? And she turns around and says, for the fourth time, yes. (laughs) Listen, this is the way it is with us and God sometimes. Here we are, we're thinking the problem is with God. He's not speaking to us. He's not at work in our lives. And and the real problem, it isn't him. The real problem is we haven't put ourselves in close enough proximity to hear his voice. We thought the problem was him. I I love what Henry Blackaby says about this. He says that uh, when someone asks, why isn't God working in my life? The reality is they're asking the wrong question. The question they ought to be asking, he says, is why am I not seeing what God is doing in my life? Why can I not see where God is working in my life? You see, often the answer is because we're not watching and we're not listening. Instead of focusing on what God is saying and doing, our ears and our eyes are focused on our circumstances. We're too busy grumbling and complaining than watching and listening. Listen, grumbling and complaining is a symptom of an unthankful heart. If if you struggle with complaining a lot, first of all, there's probably a good chance that you're not even aware that you complain a lot. Your husband or your wife may know, but there's probably a good chance you're not even aware of this, but what you are probably aware of is what you don't have, you, you constantly think about what you don't have. You, what, you, what you're aware of is all the bad things that have happened to you, or, or what this person did, or what that other person failed to do, or, or how hard you have it, or how easy it is that everybody else seems to have it, and on and on and on. That is the focus. In fact, you might even think that if your circumstances just rose to a reasonable level of what you think they should be, then not only would you be satisfied, but then you would be thankful. If my circumstances would just change, then I could be thankful. I mean, how can I be thankful? Look at my circumstances. But here's what I want you to understand this morning. Thankfulness will not rise up in us as soon as we get a certain amount of what we want. It won't happen. We may think it will, but it won't happen. If you doubt what I'm saying, I want to challenge you. Just try this experiment. If you're the parent of a young child, just try and give your child everything that they want. I mean, just give give them everything they want. Meet every demand, grant every wish, deny them nothing. By the way, if you're not the parent of a young child, even better, get a friend to do this, and you can just stand back and watch. But then just see... At what point the scale tips when when the child begins to overflow with profuse gratefulness? We know the answer to this, right? The, The truth is that giving a child everything they want will never produce a grateful child. Instead, what it will produce is an ungrateful child who feels entitled to everything that they have and more. By the way, I don't really endorse that experiment. Not a good idea. But here's the point. What is true of a child, or what would be true of a child if you did that experiment, unfortunately, is still true in us. Here's the truth of the matter. Every single one of us have been fortunate enough to have more than we deserve. Every single one of us here this morning has been fortunate enough to be born in the country that we're born in. In fact, let me me ask you this this morning. How many here this morning have more than one pair of shoes? Pretty much everybody, okay. How how many here this morning have more than one set of clothes? How many here this morning will eat more than one meal today? Oh man, just, just, listen, just by being born where you have been born, you are in the top 10 percentile of the world's population when it comes to having stuff. And yet for most of us, when we think about what we have, we, we really don't think about that as much. We think about what we don't have. You know, they have this and I'd like that. We want newer, we want better, we just want different. You, you see, it, it, it is inside of us, this unthankful heart. And what I want you to understand this morning is, and again, this is why the power of the Holy Spirit is so important in us. But what I want you to understand this morning is that thankfulness is never a product of having enough stuff. No, listen, thankfulness is the product of knowing that you have been loved beyond measure. The cross, you have been loved beyond measure. I saw this this incredible video not long ago and it just, it, it captured my heart. I watched it again this past week. I was going to show it to you this morning, but the the quality of it was so poor. It was videoed from somebody's phone, but it it was from an organization who was smuggling Bibles into communist China. Where in most places, they're not allowed to have Bibles. Most of the believers uh, meet in underground churches. And those uh, who, who meet openly or can only meet uh, in state-sanctioned churches. And the Bibles have even been edited and updated to state-sanctioned Bibles. Uh, worded the way that the, the, the government wants them worded. And so the, the, most places, they're not allowed to have the type of Bible that we have. And in fact, what these believers do in these underground churches is that, that, that if they're fortunate enough, you know, to have one Bible, what they will do is they will tear the pages out of the Bible, and they'll send a page home with a family for a couple of weeks, and that family will have this one page, and they'll read this page, and they'll, they'll just soak it into their hearts, and then they'll come and they'll exchange a page with another family so everybody at least has a piece of God's Word, a portion of Scripture. And in this particular place, in this video, this group was able to smuggle in a suitcase full of Bibles. And in the video, here's this home with all these believers, and somebody brings in this suitcase of Bibles. And these Chinese believers, they just just run and they grab this treasure that none of them have been able to possess in its entirety, and they hold it to their chest, tears running down their cheeks, just weeping and weeping and weeping. Why? Because they're so thankful, they're so grateful that they have the privilege of, of reading the Word of God in its entirety. I was thinking about that this past week, and I, and I counted. I've got 15 Bibles on the bookshelf in my office alone. I, I don't, that's not even counting how many Bibles I have at home. I, I don't even know how many I have, to be honest. And, and I've, I've got to confess this morning, I don't know... If there has ever been a time in my life where I have responded to the honor and the privilege of having the word of God like these Chinese believers. See, having stuff does not make us thankful. Having enough stuff does not make us thankful. It's never been the product. Thankfulness has never been the product of our circumstances, how much we have. No, instead, it is always the product of ears and eyes that are tuned in to see and hear the goodness of God to us. It flows from a heart that is listening to God's promises and looking for God's goodness. God is so good to us. That deserves more than one amen. amen. God is so good to us. Amen. God has been good to me. God has been good to you and his promises are so precious. The question for us is, do we see? You see, one of the reasons we're doing what we're doing over these 10 weeks is I, I've just sensed as your pastor that God has been prompting, prompting me that my responsibility as your pastor and as a shepherd, is to just simply teach people to develop a habit of prayer and reading the word of God. Prayer and reading the word of God. Because a thankfulness that is strong enough to hold us in whatever circumstances we may face in our lives, it has to be built on the unshakable promises of God of God. man. I found myself in the early hours this morning, I woke up and I just felt like I needed to spend some time in prayer. And for myself, I found myself sitting there. The circumstance wasn't the way that I wanted it, but I was claiming the promise that God had given to me. God, I know it looks like this and I hate it, but you said... (laughs) It's important. How do we make it if we don't hold on to the promises of God? How do we hold on to the promises of God if we don't know the promises of God? How do we know the promises of God if we don't open up his word and we read the promises of God? One of my my favorite promises, you'll read it here in a couple of weeks, It's found in Romans chapter 8. Probably a familiar passage of scripture to many of you. And In Romans chapter 8, Paul writes these words and he says... That we know that in all things, God works for the good to them who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. In all things, regardless of what's going on in our lives, God can take the worst of circumstances and He can somehow work something good out of even the worst of circumstances. You see, what happens is when we take promises like that and we plant them in our hearts and we hold on to them, what happens is these promises, they begin to affect our spiritual eyesight. We begin to to see more clearly not only what God is doing, but what he's going to do in spite of the circumstances. We, We develop the ability to see past our circumstances. The old-timers used to talk about that he gave us spiritual eyes, the ability to see beyond what's taking place in the physical. It's like the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says this, he says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Paul's talking about in his own life, what are his light and momentary troubles? Well, earlier he said... I've been whipped, I've been beaten, I've been left for dead, I've been thrown in prison. He calls these light, how can he call these light and momentary troubles? Because he had a greater vision, he had the ability to see, he had been given promises from God. And so he says this, he says, so because of that, we fix our eyes, not what is seen, not what my current circumstances are, but on what is unseen. Since what is unseen is or what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What is unseen? My living hope that we sing about. You, you see, thankfulness sees with eyes of faith and hears God's promises with ears of faith. And knows that everything is going to be worked out for my ultimate good. And even though I may experience, and we will experience, pain and hardship, even that is preparing me for a glory that I cannot imagine. This is a promise. And it's all because of His grace. And listen, while we can't earn grace, we can be very thankful for it. And we ought to be thankful for it. So, I know all of this may lead us to this question. If I acknowledge a problem or a situation that concerns me or something that I'm really wanting that I don't have, if I acknowledge that, does that mean that I'm being unthankful? In other words, do I have to walk around and pretend like everything's okay? You know, this can hamstring us, you know, in conversation. Like when we go out into the lobby, it shouldn't be, you know, how was your week? Well, after that message, it was awesome. How can I say anything else? I'm very thankful for the week that I had. (laughs) Meanwhile, the truth is you had a cruddy week and you faced some real significant troubles. And so is it unthankful to make those, those things known? In other words, should someone be afraid to say they have a deep concern about something or a problem or a need that they don't have? I wish I had more time for this, but but Paul gives us some direction on this throughout his letters. First of all, he says, regardless of your circumstances, here's the point. Let thankfulness set the tone. Whatever your circumstances are, let thankfulness set the tone. Paul understood this himself, and he gives us an example in this letter to the Thessalonian believers. He sets this tone of thankfulness for for them. In, in chapter one, verse two, he says, we give thanks for God all, to God always for all of you, consistently mentioning you in our prayers. Again, in chapter two, verse 13, he says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really was, the word of God, which is at work in you, Believers. And then in in chapter 3, verse 9, he says, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy we feel for your sake before God? Now here's what's important, is all of this, all of this thanksgiving that Paul is giving for these people is during a period of time where he was greatly concerned for this church. He had some deep, legitimate concerns because he knew that they were going through a tremendous amount of suffering and they were being attacked because of their faith. And he wasn't there to see how they were doing and so he was afraid that maybe some of them may have lost their faith altogether. And so Paul has some very legitimate concerns for, for things like their morality, which he addresses, their love for one another, their fears that the Lord has already returned. And, and for some reason, in this particular church, there was a bunch of lazy people who were sitting on their... But, can I say butts in church? If I can't say butts, I won't say butts. But I just said it a bunch of times. So anyway, they're, they're sitting on their blessed assurance trying to live off of the church. But for Paul, these things don't eclipse his warm, genuine genuine thankfulness for them. But at the same time, his thankfulness doesn't prevent him from addressing the reality of the situation that these believers were in and what he was experiencing within himself. He addresses the real issues. So so the first one is, yeah, we acknowledge them, but we acknowledge them in a spirit of thankfulness. The second thing he teaches us is that thankfulness can only happen because it's a byproduct of genuine faith. He says, he says in Philippians chapter 4, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Don't pretend like you don't need anything. If you need something, present it to him. If something's bothering you or causing you anxiety, bring it to him, but bring it with thanksgiving. And so thankfulness doesn't deny the things that concern us, but instead we bring it to him with a perspective of faith. We, we acknowledge the circumstances, trusting that regardless of whatever they may be, we know that God will still be faithful. God will still be faithful. And because he's faithful, I'm gonna lift the reality of my circumstances before him. God, here it is. It hurts. I hate it. I wish it were something else, but I'm lifting it to you. And I just want to thank you ahead of time. See, that's what faith does. I want to thank you ahead of time because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you don't change my circumstances, you're going to give me the strength to make it through my circumstances. You're going to do one or the other. And so I can give you thanks in the midst of this. Listen, I don't know if you've ever been around somebody like that someone who's going through great difficulty, but in the midst of great difficulty, they still have so much faith. I know many of you, I, I've been amazed, and I know many of you have followed the journey that Brandon and Rachel Janice have been on these past several months. For those of you that don't know, Brandon and Rachel attended the church here for a couple of years, and then they moved to Tennessee, and while Rachel was here, she had uh, gotten breast cancer, and she had received treatment, and they thought that it was in full uh, remission, and then not long after get, going to Tennessee, it all came back with a fury, it moved into her spine and into her brain, and she's been in the hospital, I don't know for how long. And, and I know many of you on Facebook have read the posts that Brandon has put on Facebook. And it's been raw, and it's been real, and it's been this stinks. We hate it. I love his little hashtag, cancer sucks. We hate it. But in the midst of all that, there's been a thankfulness that God is still in charge. He's still walking with them. And there's been such an attitude. The last post that I read was how that the, the off or the uh, medical personnel were almost like fighting each other as to who gets to take care of this woman because there's just something about being around her. There's just something about being around her when she's in the worst that life can offer her that does something in me. And I'm telling you, what it is is what we're talking about. There's an aroma that comes and flows through us that people just can't resist when somebody is thankful I'm telling you, I would rather be around people who are going through terrible, hard circumstances and have discovered this, that God is so good that he's either going to remove it or take me through it and there's joy in it than be around people who haven't gone through anything in their lives. I don't relate to those people. I don't know what it's like to not go through hardship. I want to be around people who I'm encouraged by the fact that, yes, I'm going through difficulty, but God is still good. He's still at work. He's still sustaining me. I'm still standing. Here I am. Come on. Isn't that the people we want to be? We live in a world where life does everything it can to just beat people up to tear people down, to destroy people. And I believe that what the world is longing for is a group of people, not whose lives are perfect, but a group of people who will say, in the midst of the imperfectness of my life, God is still good, and he's sustaining me, and he's helping me to make it through. Trying to decide if I want to keep going or not. Probably a good place to stop. Brian, I'm going to invite you to come. Father, uh, this morning, th- there are some words that you give to us that um, just make us jump and shout. There are others that are hard. Um, they're all good. <laughs> This morning, Lord, I just have been struck this past week that, that you, one of the things you've called us to be, if we're, if we're believers, if we're followers of you, Jesus, that your aroma ought to flow through us, that there ought to be an atmosphere that even revolves around not, not, just, not just the church, but around my personal life, to where people I come in contact with, they're just, they're attracted, they're drawn to. That there's just something about me that smells pretty. (laughs) And not not because they're attracted to me, but because they're attracted to you who lives in me. (laughs) And so my prayer for myself is a prayer that I pray over every single person in here who professes to call you their Lord and Savior, who has given their life to you and has chosen to follow you Would you help us to live lives? This is just one thing. It is your will in Christ Jesus that we give thanks for all things, in all things, in all things. And Lord, we recognize that there are things that enter into our lives. You you gave us this great and wonderful promise that in this life you will have trouble. I don't like that one. But you told us that in the midst of the trouble you would never leave us You would never forsake us. And in whatever trouble we face, you've already overcome it. You've already defeated it. And so, Father, this morning, I know there are those who, like me, maybe they find themselves in the midst of some trouble. Maybe there's some circumstances that have broken their hearts, have torn them down, have caused discouragement, and this morning, we don't give you thanks for those things, but we do want to give you thanks in those things, to say that you are still good, and that you're still a way maker, and though even though we may not see the way, that you would help us, Lord, to have eyes to see and ears to hear so that we might find the way to navigate through whatever path that we find ourselves on this morning. We trust you today. You're still, you're so good. You're so good. This morning, I pray you would encourage some hearts that need to be encouraged. I pray you would strengthen some folks that need to be strengthened today. We thank you, God, for who you are. You, Jesus, were no stranger to trouble. We thank you that you showed us a way through. And so we give ourselves to you today, and we thank you Spirit of thanksgiving, in Jesus' name, amen.